Welcome to Opsy, a podcast for people doing Opsy work in tech. I'm your host, Carol Griffin, and every month I dig into what Opsy work really is by talking to an operations pro who has something really cool to teach us. In a traditional part of ops like HR or finance, or a newer specialty like no-code ops or marketing ops. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm here with Megan Bianco, the head of operations at Scotch Cheap Flights, a travel startup on a mission to help people experience the world one awesome deal at a time. As a frequent traveler and former digital nomad myself, I've been a big fan of the company for a long time. But Megan and I first crossed paths a few years ago when she interviewed me for a role there. That didn't end up working out, but in one of those twists that actually makes me believe that things do happen for a reason, Megan and I became friends, and I'm so glad we did. I look up to Megan so much. She's a voice of reason in my professional life and my go-to when I need an operations gut check. She was even one of the first people I told about Opsy, and her enthusiasm is a big part of what encouraged me to move forward with the idea. All of this to say, she was the first person I knew I wanted to have on the podcast, and I'd actually already made the cover art when I like pitched it to her. <laughs> so what better way for us to kick off this series than by digging into what ops really is with someone who I think has a really great perspective on what operations leadership is and all the different things that can fall into the operations bucket. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Megan. I'm really excited to have you as the first guest on the podcast. And let's jump right in. So you're the head of operations at Scott Sheep Flights, but I happen to know that you wear a few other hats too. Tell me a little bit about how your role started and what it looks like now. Yeah, absolutely. I am super excited to be here. Super excited to be number one on the podcast. When this becomes 100, I'll, I'll forever hold that, hold that in my heart. You're number one. You're number one in my heart. So it just makes sense. <laughs> Uh, but how, how I got started in this role, I had actually never heard of Scott Street Flights before I applied here. Um, I was on a bus in Vietnam and this like older couple who was retired and traveled the world told my husband and I about it. And we both looked at the website and he was actually going to apply to a job. And then I was like, hmm, I think I'm going to apply to a job too. And so I applied and called dibs and I was like, wait until I hear back. And then because obviously you're going to hear back. So <laughs> I love that this is such a Scott Sheep Flight story, like you were on a bus in Vietnam. That's great. Okay, keep going. (laughs) And so I actually started at the company as a recruiter, but the role really quickly evolved into helping out with more like people ops things, uh, building a compensation program, helping with onboarding, performance management. And then I started taking on a lot of project and change management work as the company was going through a couple different iterations and changes to kind of find itself. And then I started getting, I don't want to say bored because I really enjoy that work, but recruiting and people up stuff, been there, done that time to add something new to the mix and started tackling random projects like sales tax and improving our internal communications. And so my role evolved into more of a like chief of staff role and got to wear the like special projects hat. And because it's a startup and things are ever changing, I also took over leadership of our member success team hired an awesome data analyst and then needed to fire myself from a few roles and brought on an amazing people ops manager and and stellar senior recruiter. Uh, And that's kind of when my role evolved into more of the head of ops position, I guess. I love it. So Scott Chief Flight's your first time really stepping beyond like the talent and recruiting space and owning all of these different things. 100%. I feel like I always had a really close tie with our finance team in the recruiting world and really enjoyed the finance side of things and, you know, got randomly pulled into 
sales calls and occasional like marketing things because that's the nature of a startup. But my focus was almost always 100% recruiting and the people outside of things. So this was definitely a new, new adventure. Yeah, absolutely. So how long have you been at Scott Sheet Flights now? I've been here for almost well, two and a half years, a little over two and a half years. Wow. Okay. It feels like it's been forever, but I guess, you know, time flies and all Dog of that. Years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I'm like, you've been there forever. Okay. So to recap, what are the areas that you like personally work on or oversee right now? Yes. So I personally have uh, like goal setting is a big part of what I do. OKRs, the, the, the famed OKRs. Strategy, internal comms, tax compliance, legal finance are like my world. And then I have a team of people way smarter than me and super capable that lead member success, data, people, ops, talent acquisition. And then a bit ago, I took on interim leadership of the engineering team, uh, which has been a really cool challenge, helping them with all different kinds of random things that are happening, uh, like building our first API and we're building a mobile app. Surprise. (gasps) Spoiler alert. Okay. Sign me up. I'm so excited. There you go. So excited. (laughs) And so helping them through that, but we're ultimately searching for somebody to fill that role. So if anyone out there in the world knows any stellar VP engines, send them my way. But at the end of the day, when there isn't a super clear owner, I take the work on. Uh, it's kind of the, the summary of, of my job. Yeah, which I think really ties into kind of this conversation. I think one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the first episode was because we had had this great conversation a while back about like what operations is. And I think it was only really in creating Opsy and talking to so many other Ops people that I feel like I kind of honed what I think my definition is. But I think I'm realizing like that's what Ops is. It's different for everyone. It's doing whatever needs to be done and putting on whatever hat you need to wear. And I think you're such a good example of this. I mean, you're the interim head of engineering at the moment. (laughs) Like, Who would have guessed when you were on that bus in Vietnam that that was the hat you were going to be putting on two and a half years later? And again, definitely did not see that coming, but extremely grateful. And I think, again, like any good ops person, you see a problem and figure out how to how to solve it. And great communication skills and great problem solving skills and a lot, a lot of empathy and leaning into your team and people smarter than you kind of being resourceful in that way is, is really how you learn all of these new new areas. Yeah. And actually, so you mentioned communication and I want to like dig into that, I guess a little bit, because I feel like communication skills are so necessary for an ops person, but good communication skills are something that everyone thinks that they have. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess I'm like, I'm not even sure what my question is so much as how do you work with people who aren't, especially in a remote environment that aren't as good of communicators? How like, do you have any like rules for communication when you're like, you know, working with this large team across time zones and trying to convey information and keep everyone on the same page? Yeah, this is such an important part of being a remote company. And right now, for the most part, we have currently most of our employees in the United States. So within a couple different time zones. However, we're hoping in the future to expand to more of a like true work from anywhere situation, which means we're going to have to keep leaning into that asynchronous communication and becoming really, really great written communicators. And so there's been a couple of things. There's, there's a couple of people who are really amazing synchronous communicators and can talk the talk all day long, but really struggle to put pen to paper. And then there's some people who are really amazing writers, but really struggle to like find their voice in a meeting or have a really clear and concise conversation. And so I generally figure out which one people thrive in. Some people are really good at both. It's normally one or the other. We at Scotchy Place were really lucky that I don't think anybody is, is not great at one or the other, but I generally challenge people to like lean into what they're not as great at. So if you are really excellent at speaking up in meetings, having presentations, 
write everything down, literally everything in your brain, write every decision down, write every project plan down, write every single meeting agenda down, like nothing on the fly, really lean into writing. It's going to take time. It's going to be uncomfortable. And same thing on the flip side, if you're a really great writer and really great at communicating through asynchronous means, speak up more, have more conversations, lean into being a a meeting facilitator, ask for time in a town hall and just kind of make yourself really uncomfortable. I hate public speaking in general. And so I'm leaning in and you being are. really uncomfortable in, in my synchronous communication improvement path. So that's, I'm, I'm doing it for myself as well. Yeah. I mean, take eating your own dog food, taking your own advice. I love it. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like asking you what ops is, which is kind of the theme of this episode is a really hard question, but to scale it down a bit, how do you define your job? What's the common thread in your work? Ooh. I definitely have a very skewed view of what falls within operations, just given the nature of my role. But at this point, I think I consider ops to be really anything that helps support the business's ability to run and typically is more often than not behind the scenes. I think the common thread is kind of... I don't know, two, three things. Cross-functional communication is a big one. Supporting scale typically and like the change that comes along with that. And then really creating efficiencies and facilitating success for the business as a whole and ultimately the employees within the business. The ops team at Scott Street Flights works across the entire organization, building bridges to their function. Data, recruiting, people, ops all support every single function in the company. And then I think this also applies within functions as well. So if you're like, we have a team here called support operations, it's kind of new to us. And the team is responsible for ensuring that all of our frontline member success specialists, the folks that are actually supporting our members on a day-to-day basis are set up for success and also acting as the bridge between product and marketing and member success, just kind of ensuring that our like customers' voices are represented in those conversations, but also ensuring that what's happening in those teams is making it back to the employees there. I love that. And support operations, it's really interesting that you bring that up because I feel like I've recently had the pleasure of talking to so many people who are in these really niche operation spaces. And I think I always think of partially just because I'm such a like generalist who likes to wear all the hats and do all the things, but I've been talking more and more with people who are, you know, really great experts in the marketing operations space. I recently learned design operations and product operations are things. And so I think it's really great that so many teams are realizing that they can benefit from like an operations specialist to really take it to the next level. And so I would actually love to dig into a little bit more of the support operations role because I mean, it totally makes sense, but I'm like picturing what I think that is and what it actually is on the team. And so can you tell us a little bit more about like what is setting up your support team for success look like? Yeah, 100%. So this is, again, brand new. We're literally going through the change right now of making the evolution to this. So our director of member success brilliantly came up with this awesome change management plan. So I cannot take credit for this, but basically it's currently going to consist of three different roles. We'll have our manager of support operations and that role is really going to focus on the relationship with product. So what changes are coming with product? How do we communicate that back to our member success team that are actually interacting with our members to be sure that macros are built well and we can answer questions when massive product changes are happening or new products are launching. And then she kind of also acts as the voice of the customer in a lot of those conversations. So that's kind of her role. Um, We then also have are going to have a systems operations specialist. And there is so much technical work that needs to happen within a support team. We have a tool called customer that we use. And so he's responsible for that, but he's also, they're also just really good at 
at like building automation within those tools, making shortcuts, making it really easy for members to delete data, making it really easy for members or for our employees to, I don't know, do all sorts of things. Quickly link out to different sites, but it all lives in one home and they're responsible for doing that. And then we have our knowledge management specialist and they're responsible for all of the different internal knowledge base information. All of our employee training is going to fall within that role, kind of supporting the again, the the boots on the ground folks who are actually responding to members. Um, And then the last role is a support operations specialist, kind of more of a generalist, but they're really going to be the bridge between marketing and making sure that every time we launch a new campaign, the copy is really great. And our members are going to understand and acknowledge what's being said well and how we can say how we think it's going to be received. It really, at the end of the day, a lot of those folks are really helping mitigate issues with our members because they know what our members are going to react to and how they're going to react and then helping build the efficiency within the success team. So again, helping empower and enable them to do their best work as quickly and efficiently and well as possible. Uh, Also, hopefully while having a really good time kind of building some of that fun end. So that's really what the support ops team is going to look like here at Scott's. I love it. And I think anyone who's ever done any kind of customer support has definitely been in that position where like things are launched or sales write something and you're like, wait, what? No, if you had only used a, just a slightly different word in this one email, you know? Um, so I love that you're building that bridge. So, but I think my first question was, so this team has several people in it and several like distinct roles. How big is Scott Sheep Flights right now? We actually, big, exciting news. We actually just the other day hit employee number 50. Ah. Uh, which is really exciting for us. And then I just got news yesterday that we're officially at 52 already. That escalated fast. <laughs> I know. Uh, it was like 24 hours and we're, yeah. we're already at 52. So by the time this airs, we may be, I don't know, 55. Know. We're, a- we're expect next year to basically double in size. So oh. we're going to keep keep growing and we have a lot of cool, exciting things in progress for our members. Wow. So. Okay. Well, I know there's a lot of Opsy members who are actually working, who are really focused on scaling right now. So maybe we'll have to have you come back because I'm like going from 52 to double in size. Yes. Wow. Okay. That's definitely a challenge for an ops person. <laughs> One I'm super excited for and extremely grateful to the team that we've built because they're all so capable and it'll be fun. Yeah. New adventures. Exactly. So so really is this, I guess, if you weren't going to double in size over the next year, would you be building out a support operations team? Like, like do you think that's something that is beneficial at 50 employees or... Like that is more of yeah, a scaling thing. I don't know that it's is necessary to have all of those different roles, right? Okay. The way that we had it before is we had senior specialists who kind of did a 50-50 job. They spent 50% of their time on the help center or the knowledge management system, and then 50% of their time either in the inbox or on chats or meetings or whatever else that looks like. And so that 50-50 split worked well, but it's a ton of context switching. And then you just like lose effectiveness there. And we ran a lot of numbers and made a really strategic decision that if we made this investment to make this switch, we could really better support our members and be faster and answer more. And it would like basically triple the capacity of the team in doing this. And so again, we made, we were really lucky to be able to make the call to like make that pretty massive investment, but at 50, it's going to make sense for, for us, just given the way that our team is set up and the importance that we put on treating our members extremely well and making them kind of the center of our world. But I could also see a world where that 50, 50 split works for a little bit longer until you, you get a little bit bigger. 
totally makes sense. Well, thank you for going down that rabbit hole with me. I'm fascinated (laughs) and resisting the urge to make this whole episode about this. (laughs) So do you have strong feelings, I guess, to pivot a little bit about like things that definitely should or shouldn't be in the ops space? Mm. Especially as like an ops leader who's taken on all of the things. (laughs) I have many a hot take. I love your hot takes. I'm ready. I'm buckled in. (laughs) Chick-fil-A is overrated. You really want to start down this path. We can can go. Uh, I think for me, the the one thing that an ops person should definitely own is change management. Okay. It's the team that has the like thousand foot view of the business typically or the function that you're in, right? They're also generally pretty intertwined in the data. And I think the data is also an important balance with a lot of the people-y things that need to happen within change management processes. But in turn, they really like know how change is going to impact the employees, the project, the process, the technology, and can piece all of those things together. So I think change management is one that OPSI folks should almost always own. As far as strong feelings on like what they shouldn't own, I don't know that I have any super strong feelings. I think ops people are generally excellent problem solvers and can tackle just about anything you throw at them. Um, I'm sure ops folks would thrive with it, but I think the one thing that I probably have a hard time justifying them owning is like growth, like the actual boots on the ground growth, just because that's such a like tactical thing. Yeah. Versus that like higher level cross-functional element. But other than that, Opsy folks are superheroes that can literally do anything that they set their minds to. So I think you could give them anything and they would probably crush it. I love that you're using they, like we're not two ops people sitting here. I'm like, we can crush it, Megan. We can all yes, crush it. Can. Me, you, everyone listening right now. Like, yes. <laughs> There's we no they here. Crushing it. We, are we are crushing, crushing it. it. Sitting here in my closet talking to you, I'm crushing it. <laughs> <laughs> On the shelf with your crafts. Yes. I'm here for it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So making it work, you know, problem solving when you live in Mexico <laughs> City and have construction background noise. <laughs> This is how we solve that problem in the obsy way. I love uh, it. Done. Done. <laughs> Done. Okay. So going back to change management, because I think it's really interesting that that's like kind of the big thing you brought up because I don't think people think about change management a lot. I think it's something that happens when like there's a really big change coming and it's usually something negative, like a layoff or something that is really scary, like an acquisition. And it's not something that's really thought of as its own function or team. And so... I would just love to dig into that with you a little bit more about like, do you think it should be its own team? Like, what does that look like? Like, <laughs> what is change management? I guess let's start with this. What does change management look like in, in your role? It's a good question. I think there's a couple of things. It's it's a, it's a hard thing to do in a startup, mostly because it's so hard to predict the future. And to me, a really good change. All the time. Exactly. All the time. And to me, a really good change management process requires as much advanced notice as possible so that you can start planting seeds and like prepping people for change and like researching new tools that will help streamline the new processes or products or employee changes that are coming. I think the biggest one that I focus on at this point is probably like organizational change. So shifts in teams, shift in structures, like in 2022, our squads are probably going to shift around for like product and engineering. So how do we make sure that our engineers are set up for success in each of those new squads. Um, What do they need? And how can I make sure they're excited about the work that falls within the scope of that new role? The most recent one and the most recent, like very positively received one, which again, I cannot take any credit for, but you should have my director of member success (laughs) on and she can talk about it, is that support apps change. Um, That team even said like, 
you're really scared of change management because it's normally a bad thing, but this was a really fun one. And she did a great job of just like planting the seed, helping people know it's coming, communicating exactly what the process was going to look like. Again, transparency and over-communication, I think are the big two elements of change management. And just being clear that like, hey, this may change and I know it's going to suck, but like, bear with me. Again, it's a startup, but definitely becomes a lot harder when you're like, oh, we're going to make a change overnight. We used to do that at Scott's. We've gotten better at that. We've gotten better at looking into the future, knowing what we're going to need and being able to lay that foundation and actually prepare people for what's to come. Occasionally there's one-off, you know, quick changes that are going to happen, but we've gotten better. And I think that's that's a that's a big piece of change management is just trying to prepare and you know know what's coming in the future. Yeah, that was such a great off the cuff answer, by the way. <laughs> really surprised you with that one. And that's so interesting because like if I was ever gonna list what are the things I'm responsible for? Like I asked you at the beginning of this episode, I wouldn't have listed change management, even though Mm. that has been a big part of what I do. I just don't think of it as its own thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, but like every time you roll out a new process or a new tool, like that is change management, right? Exactly. And so calling it that, so we can like have the framework and the resources and like, yeah, that's love it. Adding that to to my resume. Yes. Very top. Very top. top. Okay. Well, so Scott's is obviously all remote um, and you've always been remote, right? Yeah, we have six years now. Like original. I don't even know where we would consider putting an office at this point. So (laughs) yeah, we were really lucky. I know last year, a lot of people had to go through a pretty massive transition. Mm -hmm. We were really lucky that we could just, again, kind of focus on the business and our employees and taking care of them and not some massive office and cultural shift that comes along with that change. So that's again, feeling very lucky in that sense, but been remote for six years now. Yeah. So do you think that operations has changed post-COVID with remote work becoming more of a norm? Yeah. I I think more than anything, it's become more imperative. Yeah. I think ops folks are like the glue that holds a company together during chaos and change. And there's been a lot of that the last couple of years. So I, I, again, I think it's just actually shown how important those folks are to a business. We've seen the rise in COO, we've seen the rise in head of people, we've seen the rise in all types of positions over the course of the last year. And you're not hearing about rises necessarily in heads of sales, heads of products, head of engineering. They want those people who can have that 3000 foot view and understand the implications of decisions that are being made and handle change management and be great communicators to the employees and the team. And that seems to be the world that we're moving towards is is people who can, again, balance all of the moving pieces and kind of be those systems thinkers. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great to see I think startups admit a little bit more how much they need ops people um yeah. and you know this rise that you're speaking to about the I've never seen more publicly posted COO and chief of staff and head mm-hmm. of ops roles and that's great to see because it just makes it so much I think easier for us to connect and learn from each other and like help build great businesses but also there's so many times where I talk to people um who work at startups and they're explaining problems where I'm like do you have an ops person and they're like oh no not yet and I'm like you need one this is why you have this problem yeah like you know it's like there's so many things that tie back to like oh because this is something an ops person would address or fix or support and I feel it so acutely when people explain these problems as an ops person right where I'm like yes let me in there I can I can help you with this. <laughs> so true. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, um, I wanted to get into a little bit more about you and your day-to-day. And so, you know, you told us you started your career in recruiting. Is that still your favorite Opsy hat to wear, or has that changed over time? Ooh, um, I will always have a soft spot for recruiting, but I actually have really loved being further down the interview line. Uh, being the first person to review applications and having initial conversations is an exhausting and yes. incredibly challenging job. And like people that spend their entire career in recruiting are are superhuman. So my favorite hat these days is we've been talking about it a lot, but I like really love change management processes. And I really love project management, which I didn't entirely expect, but I love taking like massive problems and breaking them down into like really, really bite-sized, easy to wrap your head around tasks. And that that's a ton of fun. I, re- I really enjoy that. I think the like transparency and communication that's required for a great change management process is, is something that I really thrive in. And again, just like making things feel really reasonable and realistic is, is kind of my jam. I like to make things look and feel easy. Even when I know they're not, uh, it makes everything feel better for anyone involved. I love that. You just said reasonable and realistic. I feel like that's the, that's the Megan way. (laughs) (laughs) So what's a hat you got, you wish you got to wear more? Ooh, we talked about this before. I finance like all day. Um, I love the people side of my job. Don't get me wrong, but like I'm actually naturally an introvert and at six o'clock, like need to take a break from conversation and like refuel. I find immense joy though. at like staring at spreadsheets and digging into financials and understanding, building out models to just like better predict the future. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think that data and financials are just a thing that like allows you to have insights into what is going to happen in the future, which makes you a better change manager. It makes you a better communicator. It it allows you to thrive in transparency because you have facts and data to back up what you're saying. And so I I love the finance side and wish I got to spend more time with it. It's, it's always a lot of fun when I do. Same. Yeah. I feel, feel the same way about, about those spreadsheets and that finance stuff. I'm like, just, just leave me in my corner, please. I'll, I'll see you on the other side of the spreadsheet. (laughs) Dreaming about pivot tables. That's what we're doing. Uh, Yes, exactly. I had an old coworker who used to joke that spreadsheets were my love language. And she's like, if you put it in a spreadsheet, Carol will like like it and improve it so much faster. And I'm like, it's true. They are my yes. love language. Like put it in a spreadsheet, y'all. <laughs> Pro what tip. an amazing thing to be known for. I'm very <laughs> envious of this for you. <laughs> <laughs> you can be known for it too. It's fine. I'll let you in. We can, they can both be our love Deal. language. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, spoil, another spoiler alert, I may or may not have just ordered Opsy sticker sheets. And one of them says spreadsheets are my love language. <laughs> I need one. I need one. <laughs> yes, it's there. It's headed your way. Absolutely. Okay. So, what do you think your biggest asset is as an ops person? Ooh, I can context switch like a champ, and also because of that, I can keep a ton of information in my brain at once. It's exhausting, but like I'm really good at compartmentalizing, and so doing this podcast was uh, challenging because I had to like think back through things that I've done, yeah. right? And I don't. I like live in the moment, and I have to because there's so many moving pieces happening at one time that I can compartmentalize what's happening now. And once it's completed and done, I put it, put it behind me, write a retro, write it down somewhere, (laughs) uh, and then get it out of your brain so you can move on to the next thing. Um, but like, look, typically my week consists of a ton of meetings and a ton of conversations. And I'm moving from a one-on-one with our data analyst, digging into our data model, to an interview, to an engineering project meeting, breaking down our first API to an org discussion with our director of member success. And so you 
I have to be good at context switching. And I like love the the constant change and really thrive in that. So I think that's probably, I consider that my superpower, like context switching is. is that's an amazing superpower, especially for someone in operations leadership, because like you're saying, so much of it is meetings and preparing people and, and going back to that change management, you want to like plant those seeds earlier. You want to prepare people for those. And so, you know, I, know from experience it's like that like okay I have this one-on-one what are the things I needed to like you know to start talking about to address now to like how do you backwards plan from this thing I know is coming down the pipeline three weeks later yeah that's an amazing superpower so I'm jealous of your superpower (laughs) 100% though I have to be honest again one I love when people nag and remind me of things because I 100% drop the ball there and two you say spreadsheets are your love language they're probably up there for me Mm -hmm. but like to-do lists are my my love language like I love a well-organized to-do list. My husband knows like if he needs anything from me, it must go on the joint to-do list or it will never get done. So to-do lists are my jam. I write everything down. That is the only way that I could. Do you physically write it down or do you have a preferred app for this? I need to cross it off. I need that. I need that joy of crossing it off. Respect to people who can do it digitally. I type all day, every day. I need to like remind myself of what my grandmother taught me and write in cursive and, (laughs) and, and write it out, make it look beautiful and then cross a line through it. And then cross the line through it. Yeah. And it's like, there's nothing better than having this beautiful to-do list. And then at the end of the day, it's like a hot mess because you've like crossed through all of it and made notes. Yeah. Love it. I I can feel that. rewriting it so that it's like clean and organized. And mm, Exactly. Man, we're such ops people. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of us being such ops people. So um, when you're, when you're looking for your people as a hiring manager, what do you look for when hiring another ops person? Well, I have so many things. (laughs) Okay. Give us the list. (laughs) I know Uh, you have a list. Let's break it down. Okay. There's a couple that are just like important for people in general who work at startups. And that's definitely the lens I come through because that's where I spent most of my career. But one, you thrive in ambiguity. As far as I'm concerned, this is like a non-negotiable in any startup, but even more so in an ops role, because there is no such thing as uh, inside my job description, right? You're constantly being thrown random, poorly defined a lot of time projects and you being able to work in the gray is, is crucial to your success and the company's success. I think second to that is is really strong communication skills. In the world of remote work, ops typically acts as the bridge between each function. And so great asynchronous and synchronous communication is imperative, again, across most roles, but particularly important in, in an ops role. Let's see what else. Uh, Teaching and feedback skills. I want someone who is not afraid to tell me that I'm wrong. That's so important. Yes. Uh, All the time because I'm wrong often. (laughs) Uh, And then like provide feedback on how we can improve as a business and then just like teach us things or 25 things. That's super important to me. Um, let's see. Number four systems thinker. You acknowledge that the role is about building like really excellent interactions between moving pieces, uh, whether that's the individuals, the technology, the teams, and you know how to navigate those pieces and that cross-functional landscape to just kind of ensure that all of those elements can thrive and really like enable and empower collaboration. And then last but not least, but but definitely not least, you know when and how to throw the playbook out. I think there's certain situations when it like it's okay to follow the playbook or best yeah. practices. Like we don't always need to be recreating the wheel, but if something is not working for you, for the business, for a team, and you have a better way of doing it, break it, test it, try it, fail, learn, do it all again. I don't care how many years of experience you have. If you can poke holes and processes and projects and products and think differently and try new things, 
you're going to thrive in an ops role, hands down. I think that's that's super important. Absolutely. And I think when I think about this question, it's it's about something you're speaking to, like from the other side about like triaging and of mm-hmm. like, when is it time to make a process and when is it time to just like do the thing and then figure out the process, you know, in like what order do you do that, right? Like when is it, when is it repeatable enough that you need an automation? When is it rare enough that you just do it twice a year, you know, yes. like, and I think those are, those are hard skills to put on a resume, to put on a job description, you know, like. hundred percent. And then again, like when is the right time to make the investment in people or technology or tools to help automate those things? My boss is constantly telling me that I need to fire myself from jobs and it's, it's super hard to be able to like mm-hmm. detach from that work. But again, you know, that like there are certain moments in time that I need to break it and move on to, to give other away things. your Legos. Yes, yeah. give away all of my Legos. Oh, I really love Lincoln Logs, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna stick with Lincoln Logs here. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Give away your Lincoln Logs. I'll keep the Legos all for myself. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, great. Well, um, shifting gears a little bit before we wrap up today, um, it can be really hard to show off your work as an ops person. I think because of exactly what we're talking about, it's like hard to quantify and generalize in a way that's helpful. So consider this your brag book. I want to dig into an operations project that you're really proud of or like a win you've recently had. I think you have two options ready for us. So yeah, set the stage. What was the problem you were trying to solve? And I can't wait to to learn more about how you solved it. Okay. So many of the projects that I, I had a really hard time with this because literally everything that I work on is, is a team effort. Um, and so I'm going to talk about something that was 100% a team effort because again, most of the things that I do here are as such. Uh, it's something that is pretty massive and like not a super fun project, but something that like I think myself and the entire leadership team are pretty proud of organizationally. And that's ultimately like supporting a travel company in the middle of a global pandemic, which was basically a masterclass in running a business and crisis management. So we were definitely challenged (laughs) over the course of the last couple of years. We send flights to our members and it's not been the easiest thing, not being able to be one of those people who hops on those flights as often as we we liked. Um, so there was like a mental drain on our employees and also a concern over what the membership was going to look like in the future. So definitely, definitely a massive challenge, but just kind of laying the groundwork there that COVID meets travel tech startup equals bad combination, challenging combination. And especially for an ops person who gets to see all of those moving pieces. That's the problem that we're going to talk about. Okay, great. Uh, because, you know, as an avid user of Scott Sheet Flights and like a follower on social media, I feel like I so loved how like the content that came out of the pandemic from you guys and like it was just such a valuable resource as someone who, you know, did used to travel full time and has a lot of friends that still try to do that. Um, and, you know, it was it was a resource that was constantly being thrown around of like, Yes. Well, like check this recent blog post from Scotchy Flights where they outlined what you do and do not need to <laughs> enter this random country, you know? And so, yeah, so I w- I'm excited to dig into kind of the decisions that I'm sure led to that, but also like what it looked like internally. So do you want to start at the beginning? Like the pandemic happened. We March 2020. We're back. Back then we're rewinding the clock. Yeah. Yeah. How did it hit you guys first? We actually were together in in March and had like a leadership on site. Oh, wow. I can't remember. I think we were in Austin or somewhere and had a really long conversation about it. And we were like, how is this going to impact our business? How concerned are we about this? And I think we probably mentally downplayed it, but we're like, we need to get prepared regardless, right? Um, Preparation is, is important. And so we 
went our separate ways and started thinking through, you know, what happens if this impacts our teams, what happens if this impacts our business and, and started coming together and kind of figuring out what the process needed to look like. It probably wasn't until June uh, that we like had a bigger conversation with the employees. And look, there's not exactly a textbook or an example on how to tackle this one, but we really looked at it from kind of two perspectives. What does the business need and what do our employees need? And so we outlined this like seven step plan with our employees to help them understand exactly what we were going to do to ensure that one, they felt really secure in their role, but two, continue to feel confident in the financials of the business, which the two kind of tie together, right? And so we started doing twice a week leadership announcements on everything from product developments to member counts to financial wins and losses, even posting if there wasn't anything super exciting to share just to show the team that we wanted to be like open and honest about everything going on and that they would constantly be hearing from us. Um, two, we added more content. Like we, as, as you mentioned, we added this like awesome new newsletter from Scott. We added some awesome new travel content and the destination letters, which was really fantastic. And then the kind of other thing that we did from a product perspective is we rolled out domestic deals. People were still traveling domestically and people needed to get to their family. Yeah. And so we, we, we leaned into that. We'd never done that before. It was a huge hit. I love it. We just rolled out weekend getaways now too. So little aside, so now you can just like, you know, a hop on a plane for the same price that you probably could take a train or take a bus or, you know, drive across the country for, you know, pennies on the dollar to go to Vegas or San Francisco or wherever. And that was, that was also a huge boon. And then the, the kind of last thing that we did is we changed our sick leave policy to a physical and mental health time off policy, just trying to emphasize and remind people that your mental health is so incredibly important during this time and you needed to take time off. We like pushed it pretty hard and leadership set the example that like we were going to take mental health time off. And that was, it was hard. We could talk about that in a bit later, but like, again, travel company, middle pandemic, all of our hobbyists traveling. Yeah. Not easy combo. I saw that at my company last year too. It's like everyone I think is in the habit of wanting to use, save their vacation for travel, for going to do something exciting. And I think it's really hard for people to take vacation when they don't have plans, when they don't have something exciting to use it for. It feels like a waste. And so, but especially during a pandemic, like you're saying, like the mental health was so important. And even as a remote company who knows firsthand that this is not remote work, this is working from home (laughs) during a pandemic. Like I've, you know, worked remotely for six, seven years now, and I've never really worked from home. I went, you found me at a cafe or a co-working space every day. So like I knew the mechanics, but like, it's different. We're all, we're all going through this. And so I love that you made that change to support your team. Did it work? Did people take more time off? Uh, Somewhat. It was, it was definitely not easy. It's again, like people wanted to save their time off to travel and do fun things and like, you know, celebrate on the other end of this. And so it's, it's hard to have a staycation when your home is also your office. So folks came up with like really creative ideas to enjoy their time at home. People like learned new hobbies or some people just like me that like lived their best lives with batches of soup and cookie dough and movie days and just like leaned into that lifestyle. But really at the end of the day, I think the leadership one had to set the example. That was really imperative to people feeling like they had permission to take that time off. And we pushed it. Like we checked in a ton with our teams. What do you need? Like, what can we help with? Give me a number, like one to 10. How's your, how's your brain feeling? Are you tired? Do you need a day off? Do you need a reset? Uh, And it was hard work, right? We're, we're 
pushing flights in the middle of a pandemic. And so you're living inside of the ecosystem that you can't take part in. And that was draining. And so we had to really like help our team balance. And some people did, some people didn't. We're all still learning together, but people at least knew they had permission and the space and time to be able to take that time off. That was the most important thing. Yeah. Like you did what you could do as a company. It really sounds like to support that, you know, like encouraging your team to take off. You're being really transparent about financials. I mean, I think the question on, I would imagine every team member's mind is, am I going to lose my job? So what did you do to help, I guess, calm those nerves or be transparent about like, yeah, what was the reality of that situation? Yeah. So Again, almost weekly, we like walked through where we were in that seven point plan. And that seven point plan was everything from like applying for PPP, cutting expenses. We did go on a hiring freeze and we froze raises just to like be really conscious of our budget. And then there was like kind of this if necessary bucket, right? Like Scott and Brian, we're going to take $1 salaries. The leadership team was going to take a pay reduction. Then employees over a certain salary would take a pay reduction. And then we'd cut benefits where needed. And then like layoffs was like the very, very last resort. And we knew, and we were very clear about the sequence of events that were going to happen there. And every single conversation we had, every single town hall, every single leadership meeting, we kind of like said, Hey, we're at number three on this list. Like we've done the pay reduction. We haven't even moved to Scott and Brian taking $1 salaries. So like the business is fine. And we had like, when our member count hits X, this is what'll happen. And so keeping people just really updated and being really transparent about the financials and the numbers and where we were in that that sequencing was really helpful, I think, to people knowing that they could stick around and feel confident in their job. And look, at the end of the day, we had zero layoffs and zero pay reductions and zero cuts to benefits. And that was a huge win for us. And again, just being able to prioritize our employees the way that we we really like to and, and want to now and in the future. That's a huge win. I'm going to say it again for you, because I like, yes, the, and I love that I feel like the takeaway here too, for anyone who's who's going through kind of like change management 101 and trying to get their team through a difficult time is like, you know, being transparent and communicating really frequently, probably more often than you feel like you need to, um, and several different methods. But also, I love that you clearly laid out like, here are the seven steps. We are on step three. And also like what the triggers were for those steps, right? Like when members get to X or Y, that's... I would imagine so reassuring for for the team. And it's great that you didn't have to go all the way down the list. Like you did, it sounds like you didn't even go halfway down the list. So, you know, for this once in a lifetime catastrophe that we all lived through and are still living through. So it sounds like a lot of things went right. If you could wind back the clock, is there anything you would do differently? I don't know. I mean, again, it went right. So it's hard to say if we had done something different, like, you know, butterfly effect. I think as far as like challenges, it was really hard to stay the course on our strategy. Uh, Like the core of our business model has been sending flight deals. Well, no one was flying. There were a lot of conversations about shifting our plans. Scott's cheap RVs was definitely thrown around a bit. Uh, (laughs) But like at the end of the day, we chose to stick with what we know and build and iterate on our product and make it such an incredible experience that our members that couldn't stick with us felt like they had to come back because the product offering was just so dang good. And so that's what we did. We focused on just sticking with our vision, sticking with moving forward with the plans that we had already had and really just dedicating heads down focused time to, to building for 
for future members, for building for members that we'd lost, and then continuing to iterate on the product so that our existing members just stuck with us and continued to love it. And look, talk about things that went right. Like we ended the year 5% down in revenue. Whoa. Yeah. Like, we, yeah, our members are awesome and our employees are badasses. And like, it was a rough year for travel and we are extremely, extremely lucky yeah. that we were able to succeed the way that we did. I mean, not just a rough year for travel, but it's like, you aren't just a travel company, you're a flight company. And yeah. that's the, the the part that was not, was happening the least, I guess. So, I mean, yes, I'm pausing here to, to say, go team, go Megan, go team, <laughs> like everyone involved. Cause that's amazing. 5% yeah. down in 2020 is like, wow. Great. So uh, do you have any like big takeaways from this whole experience? I mean, things we talked about, right? Like mental health time off is so dang important. Finding, finding ways to empower yourself and give yourself that space and take those days. The the listening audience doesn't know this, but like we were supposed to do this interview two days ago. And Mm -hmm. I said like, Hey, I need a day. Like my brain is just not in the right headspace to be having this conversation. And like just surrounding yourself with people who are like, okay with that and encourage that and empower that. And like, that's what we try to be as a team to our employees now is like, it's okay. Like work is really hard. And when you have life and work and, you know, your own brain all at conflicting odds, sometimes you've got to take the space to focus on you and your health and your brain and what you need. And so that's been big for us as a company and like recognizing that you can't and shouldn't split your brain and work all the time. Yeah. So that was, that was a big win. And then like, look at the end of the day, like our team is incredibly resilient and our members are arguably the best and most loyal folks mm-hmm. on the planet. And so continuing to build products that they're excited about and they want to come back to is, is really our, our big priority now. Yeah. And we've learned a ton over the last year. Yeah. And you launched, like you said, so many cool things, both on the content side and also the product side. I feel like every other month I'm seeing like, oh, I can do X now in this or like, I mean, and then you rolled out business class flights and I was like, oh, what? Like that's been on my wish, my Scott's cheap flight wish list for years. So it's been, it's been fun to be part of that community and just follow along both and like also hear your insights on kind of like the back end and, and now to have you share those with like the Opsy community is really great. So yeah, thanks for sharing all of this and coming on the podcast and being your, your awesome badass self. Very much appreciate you being guest number one even though I know it was out of your comfort zone and you did it you're you know you 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 didn't asynchronously communicate with me you talked to me live on this podcast well thank you for having me uh thank you for being such a awesome friend and I I love that like you're a member of Scott's and you knew about Scott's before I knew about Scott's which is also like pretty amazing because I get to pick your brain about you know what used to be but this is a ton of fun I am excited to excited to hear who's who's next and continue learning from them and yeah this was fun absolutely so check out everybody Scott's Cheap Flights it's just scottscheapflights.com I know it well it's very much bookmarked and uh, Megan do you so Megan Bianco I, I know you have a LinkedIn do you have other social media or anything else that you would like to share with folks I wish I was Twitter famous you have a way amazing Twitter. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter. It's mostly me posting about what I'm eating for dinner. That's, that's really what's there. I mean, you say that like, it's a bad thing. Like, I mean, it's nothing exciting that I'm eating for dinner. It's normally like a weird combination of what's in my fridge and like pickles and cottage cheese last night. So. Okay. So guys, sneak peek at what you can expect if you follow Megan on Twitter. 
if if there was ever a sales pitch, there it is. Cottage cheese. Here we go. Pickles and cottage <laughs> cheese. Uh, but yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. Again, if there's questions that I can answer or anything, I generally speaking, am a pretty, pretty open book on all things ops and life and Megan Bianco. So <laughs> would love to connect with anyone that wants to. Great. Well, thanks again for coming and thanks listeners for being part of the Opsy community and, and tuning in to hear from, from Megan and I today. And with that, stay Opsy folks. Thanks for listening to Opsy. You can find resources and links from this episode in the show notes at opsy.org. And while you're there, I hope you'll take a second to join our free community where we share resources and opportunities that help us all level up in our ops careers. Again, that link is opsy.work. Until next time, stay opsy, friends. Opsy.